You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash Preacher Boys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind the scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacher boys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Preacher Boys Podcast. On today's episode, I'm sitting down with A.D. Lunkile Thomason. He is the author of Permission to be Black. He's a speaker, poet, and award-winning filmmaker, and has spoken around the nation and in places such as Sudan, South Africa, China, and Palestine. As an adjunct professor at Kilns College, he teaches on human rights, decolonizing your faith, and filmmaking. A native of Detroit, AD has more than 17 years of experience preaching and teaching the peace of Jesus in ethnically divided countries, cultures, and communities. He and his wife, Dontoya, live in the Atlanta area with their family. You can find out more about his book at permissiontobeblack.com, or you can grab a copy simply by clicking the link in the show notes or description of this video, and you can find a copy over there. We had a really good conversation about a variety of difficult topics surrounding race, religion, and so much more, and I think you're really going to enjoy this talk. 
Here, without further ado, is my conversation with A.D. Thomason. A.D., welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, glad to have you on. I, I really, really appreciate your book. Um, going through it was a helpful, uh, I, mean, I mean, it's what reading is, right? It helps you see other perspectives, help you, yeah. uh, helps you build some empathy for, for other people. Um, what was kind of, when you sat down to write the book, did mm-hmm. you have one key thing that said like, okay, I, you know, obviously there's a lot of ideas throughout, but was there yeah. one key topic or concept that was kind of the driving force for, for getting started? Yeah, it's good. So uh, in the book, Permission to be Black, My Journey with Jay-Z and Jesus, the initial impetus was sharing the freedoms I discovered in therapy and counseling. I call Mm -hmm. it kingdom therapy that I felt my community didn't have privilege to. And, you know, it was just one of those things like, man, I got to share this and I got to share it through my journey, not as an expert. So that was the initial impetus for it. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your book really, I mean, you feel like you're sitting in therapy with you for a lot of it, you know, pulling through the exercises you're, you're going through trying to work through this. And, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot on this show is the effect of trauma on individuals. And your book really dives into, you know, even talking about when the body keeps the score talks about that communal trauma felt by the black community. Um, What are some of the biggest traumas that the black community is currently experiencing right now like when you talk about trauma and uh you know history of of you know oppression and all these things what what really comes to mind what are some of those things yeah so i would say historically uh you know if you look at the history african americans of the diaspora um, which we are you know descendants of slaves we obviously brought here forced. It wasn't a piece. Right. And by default, the herd mentality was put into us because if one slave did something, then the rest suffered. Right. Mm. So for a lot of people, it's hard. It's like, why do you have that group mentality? I go look at the history. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if you move then forward to the current, it's still not even with us, it's still how um, the people group are treated, right? Mm -hmm. So I would say one of the things that's tough is being believed that these realities and these microaggressions or approaches are not one-offs. And it's hard talking to, if I can make it black and white, it's hard talking to white brothers and sisters because their history isn't her mentality they weren't forced here so they go well i mean i don't get it you know yeah. like yeah well we that, came into that, a land of opportunity yeah right it's like we came to land of opportunity and then in my head i go oh because it's not your history you don't understand why we have a group mentality because you weren't brought here as a forced group and then punished if one didn't represent the way the majority thought then that one was punished to send a message to the rest. Right. right? So when that's not your history goes, no, that white person over there is just crazy, but we, you know, I'm not. Yeah. Or there as, if you see what African-Americans, they'll say, man, why are he messing it up for us? That's Mm. a historical passed down trauma that's still playing itself out right now. Right. Right. One one of the things you talk about, uh, a lot in the interviews. I've listened to a couple of interviews that you've done and you talk about 
you know, one of the issues with the way some advocacy has been done, because there's been a lot of talk about, you know, how do you move forward? You know, how do we go to the next step? How do you go and claim some of that opportunity that exists for so many other people? One of the things you talk about is bringing past trauma into those present fights, you know, like Mm. talking about Mm. things that aren't a real, like there's a lot of issues now, no doubt about it. We could talk about a lot of those, but there's a lot of things that were issues for people you know, three generations back, two generations back that aren't in the present day. Do you think the reason that people hold on so tightly and keep bringing Mm -hmm. those forward to the the front is because those past experiences kind of get discredited or talked about as Mm -hmm. if it's a get over it? Because that is something like when we hear white commentators Mm -hmm. talk about this, their thing is, well, you weren't a slave. You know, that's always the go-to right. talking point, or you didn't have this happen, or you weren't in yeah. the time of segregation. You know, that yeah. that all gets brought up. Do you think that's yeah. why this keeps recurring? This keeps coming up in this dialogue? Yeah, no, that's good. That's a good question. I yeah, I think we're a people of reconciliation, right? We want to reconcile accounts if we're defrauded, like, hey, judge, you know, give yeah. me my money back. Right. And so I think um metaphorically speaking, we as human beings, when when things aren't reconciled, when justice is not served, then generationally we we push that forward. And then this generation may say, hey, this wasn't reconciled for these former generations. Who's going to do it? Mm-hmm. Right. And so where I would say, like, yeah, true, the descendants of slaves weren't slaves. There still is a legacy of unreconciliation that hasn't been dealt with. And people pick and choose. Right. That's like saying, you know, you got a you know high percentage of women uh, listening. That will be they will be livid if, you know, you brought it up in a Me Too movement and just saying like, well, it's not happening right now. You know, like today, <laughs> right. just they'll be like, what, man, if you don't oh. cancel this, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. And, and so all we have is our human story. And when that human story is violated and it's not reconcile there's no justice there's nothing to get over like i can't get over and become another human like you see what i'm saying like i don't have a a second you know contrary to this multiverse idea i don't have a second person i could just like you know i'm gonna take off this suit and i'm gonna hop into this suit and that's how people talk like well just become another human i can't have another legacy i can't Mm -hmm. just be part of another people group i can't but what we can do is empathize and bring reconciliation to to move forward. So, yeah, yeah. Well, let let me flip the script a little bit, and I mean, really, I mean, speak to myself. You know, speak to people listening who are going, okay, I'm hearing this because again, the default mode is always whenever we're uncomfortable because someone's talking about an experience that we haven't been through. Yeah. Our response is always, "Here's what I would do," even though we yeah. have none of the yeah. background, none of the history, <laughs> um, none of the the trauma associated yeah. with it whatsoever. Yeah. Um, you know, so we're uncomfortable. We just want to say, get over it. Let's move on. How can we facilitate these conversations and give opportunity for people to share, you know, share how they were feeling, validate those experiences and allow them to, you know, really express what's going on underneath all that motivation, that, that feeling. Yeah. What I've learned, um, is allowing someone to share, uh, grief doesn't mean all of it has to be true. Now, some of us say like, man, well, that's loaded. <laughs> it, it's very loaded, right? So, yeah. I mean, it's it's what a therapist does, really. You know, tell me how you feel. 
well, I feel like all 8 billion people hate me. Okay, that don't, it, it doesn't make it true. Right. But the person sharing their emotions get to, gets to say how I felt. And, and here's the interesting thing. I don't think people really understand the ramifications, generationally speaking, when you have a people group who were legally not able to share how they felt for centuries at a time. See that that's that's the that's the thing that we're missing, right? So right now, they're like, well, you can go to therapists and stuff like this. And I go, Yeah, but have you studied science and neurology and cellular things that you could pass on from the cellular level? If I talk to any woman, any woman listening, you know, um when it comes to pregnant pregnancy, radars are up now because there is a there was a um, heightened study on prenatal care and what the woman is eating and all these mm-hmm. things but now they're realizing the stress of what the mother like the the emotional stress of what the mother goes through is equally as important to how that baby will come out now let's talk about that if you have a generation of mothers who are pregnant and while they're pregnant they have to run for their lives yeah. they have to see whippings they have to see emasculations and and the woman's body is tense and then that child gets born and then it's again then that child gets born and then it's again and then that child gets born and then it's again fast forward to the lynchings and the bombings you can't even go to church again women's still pregnant and then you telling the first generation to get over it i go this is emotional cellular anxiety passed down at the net and 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 now studies are saying ah we missed that in caring for the woman and child we focus on nutrients only yeah Yeah. you see what i'm saying yeah that was one of the most interesting parts of your book uh was was that section you know talking about experiencing all those things and we don't even fully understand i mean even knowing that stress impacts the child you know in utero is like that's we understand that principle, but what does that really mean? You know, like, what does that really affect? And to have, like you said, generation after generation of this, that's a lot of trauma. Like there's just a lot of trauma built up. Um, And, you know, one one of the things you, you talked about as well within is like there, a lot of times when people get pushed into those corners or get put Mm -hmm. into a place where it's, you know, you can't feel this, you can't do this it almost becomes our defense mechanism, you know, Mm -hmm. like I'm in, and you see this, you talk a lot about music, you know, and, Mm -hmm. you know, and I, I love rap, you know, and that's one of the, that's one of the things that comes in a lot is I'm the toughest, you know, coolest, like most untouchable person out there. That's become the kind of defense mechanism and default voice. So for you, have you gotten a lot of pushback for trying to dive into the therapy or the emotional side of it, like let's tap into what's really going on here. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I haven't. And I think it's because it's hard to argue with a figure like Jay-Z, right? <laughs> if Jay-Z's talking about therapy, right. they're like, oh, oh, okay. I guess we could talk, we could talk about it, right? Sure. Um, I think this maybe, maybe the subtle conversations uh, where people may not be able to afford therapy or they feel like they don't have a life freedom and logistics set up to go is asking that question like what do i do if i'm let's just say an 18 year old that reads my book and i'm in a toxic household you see what i'm saying mm-hmm. and, and i'm not wealthy it's those are probably the things of like man i hear you but what does it look like in these sure uh, situations and, and and that's where it does become tough um because you know they 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 not going to emancipate from their parents like Jaden Smith, 
Sure. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's a luxury to be able to make those kind of decisions. Yeah. 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 So, but for but for the most part, I think people understand the the tone and intent from where I'm coming from. Um, is to say you don't have to define your humanity by toughness. God has given us emotional taste buds, which I call them emotions. And we can say this hurts just like we can say something tastes nasty when we eat it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you brought up Jay-Z um, and it's, it would be hard to have this conversation without mentioning his influence. Cause it's all over your book. <laughs> it comes yeah. up in every interview. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's polarizing from the start, your journey with Jay-Z and, and Jesus, you know, like yeah. there's people, people are going to read that. And, you know, I think of pastors I grew up around, that would be like a reason <laughs> not to read the book. Like he's, comp- <laughs> he's talking about Jay-Z and Jesus. Like, yeah. well, you know, what is this? Um, you know, you said in your book, you know, music's the cry of the soul. Like there is, um, there's so much education within music. Yeah. I mean, within the type of music, like a Jay-Z puts out, you know, um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, the role that music has played in kind of understanding even your own journey. Um, yeah. Cause I think for a lot of people hearing something in a song puts a voice to something that, you know, you can't talk about openly. Yeah. yeah I think it's just that man, you know, music, you know, in the Psalms um, express what sometimes we, we uh, are incapable and we are scratching and pining to express in just mere words. And I think the melody of, you know, like a guitar or in rapper 808 with some, you know, piano keys, what it does is that it puts you in a relaxing mood to express what I would call a musical diary, mm-hmm. you know, the things that are heavy upon the soul. And for a lot of times, you know, I would say for, and I, was, I would even say still for African-Americans, music was the diary and the therapist at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the way to say this hurts um, while preserving your life. And I think that's what's hard for people to understand. And in, in, in being kind and merciful and generous, you know, when I say this, but it's still true. Most people haven't really historically researched and done the, the emotional empathy to understand those times. They mm-hmm. just say that was then this is now. But I go, if you actually went back and saturated yourself in the time, like I was talking to my wife recently. No, uh, my dad, I was talking to my dad and, and he, you know, he grew up in the 60s and he was saying, you know, wife, I don't think white people understand. They used to shut down businesses and schools to hang black folks mm-hmm. <laughs> like that. That's not that ain't a that was then. This is now. Yeah. Like you would bring young kids to the party, right? And for those of you who don't know, that is why I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, because my people migrated from the South. They call it the, you know, the exodus mm-hmm. um, to get away from the lynchings and the burnings. But originally my people are from South Carolina, and Alabama. Now imagine if that stuff didn't happen, I would have grew up in the South. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So it's, it's those things I don't think people have saturated. Like if, if, you know, women, if you're listening and you have children, imagine if tomorrow you had to run, dead run everything that you've invested, home, everything. And they said, and, and they said, if we see a woman with a child, we're killing both. Imagine right now if you just had to leave everything and just run. Like 
we're not talking about cars. We're talking about on foot. We're talking about terrain you don't know. <laughs> you know, you don't have maps and compasses and Google and all these things. And I say all that not to be long-winded, but it's to paint a picture. And and I've even had to do it as as an orator and a presenter. I go, no, some things we shouldn't breeze past. You know, that that's mm. the that's the word empathy is to emotionally put yourself there. And we're such a fast culture that again, sincerely said, I actually don't think people have put in the historical and emotional time to understand the times, to know why it's what it is today. Right. Well, I think even like you mentioned, you talk about the sixties, you know, or the fifties. And I think it's easy to see a black and white photograph and separate ourselves it feels like so much time has passed you know like like when we see pictures from from these time periods it's like oh that was lifetimes ago right but i mean there's people alive today you Mm. know who lived in a time where you couldn't go into the same bathroom you know and there's it that's such a wild thing to think about like and it's something that you know i think we kind of take for granted like that that's such a recent part of history you know like that's such a um i saw a post the other day you know like martin luther king you know would have been you know i mean he could be alive today you know like that's 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 hard to even fathom because you see a black and white photo and go like that's a long long time ago you know we should all be over this by now um you know what where is the balance there between uh, again, uh, affirming something really yeah. bad has happened, um, you know, and, and for, that's a good first step. I think that we haven't right. even really gotten there, yeah, but um, also you can't stay in, you know, yeah. like the, the, the past, you can't stay in this moment and yeah. act as though you're in it right now. Right, right. And so I think you do a good job in your book. And obviously for anyone listening, the book is going to answer all these questions at length, but yeah. you know, for someone that's going, okay, I want to heal. I want to, you know, grow and develop and take control of my own life. Yeah. Uh, what does that process look like? Where do you start going without just saying, let's move on. Let's get over yeah. it. No, that's good. One is you have to grieve, like have a funeral for the past, the things you didn't have, the things that happened to you that could, could be very traumatic and hurtful. You have to grieve it. Like you really have to go there. Uh, my therapist would say, when trauma happens to you, you put a dam up, a wall goes up, and it stops the river from flowing. And so true mourning process says, I have to remove this dam, let the river flow in its intended purpose. And that's going to cause tears, it's going to cause frustrations, but guess what it's going to cause? It's going to reset the natural flow of the river, right? And then you heal. And then, um, and I've had to practice this in, you know, just things as a man, but potentially uh, relationship with my father. And, um, one of the things I had to do is I had to tell him, I said, dad, you know, you were in the household from zero to 12, but I'm about to be 42. So there are 30 years, right? <laughs> Multiple of three, I'm about to triple when you haven't been around. Right. And so I had to tell him, I have to stop holding on to a mirage of a person in a relationship that really doesn't exist. Like the truth is we don't have a relationship, right? So that's the flip side. I was trying to, well, at least he was here from zero to 12. I go, I'm 42, you know, like, it's like, Adam, you gotta, you gotta be honest. And so when I put it like that to him, he said, you know what, son, let me come talk with you. And he came up recently and we had to talk about these 30 years of absence, emotional absence. 
And you know what it did for me is that it allowed me to move into the present and say, and him to move into present and say, if we're going to have a relationship going forward, mourning this, but going forward, it has to be with the 42 year old Adam. Mm. And a lot of people aren't living in the current version of themselves. They see mom, you know, husband, siblings in the past version hurt and wound of said situation and that's why mourning is so important but you also had new memories as the body keeps the score and Mm -hmm. and the way you heal those is you have to have new associations in the present going forward that your body needs to have in order to heal as well yeah that's great i I love all the references to when the body keeps the score because that's such a again another valuable resource for people to check out understanding this but uh, you know, you talked about like relationship with your father, you know, there's, um, so you've got, I mean, there's so much stacked against you at this point, you know, you've got, first of all, just the baseline trauma you're born with, you know, in the, the communal trauma. And then you've got, you know, the, the traumas of life, you know, for some that's abuse for some that's uh, betrayal or uh, for some that's a being completely abandoned, you know, uh, all these different things. Sometimes all of these boxes get checked you know, at a very young age, um, you know, as you're going through the process of healing, one thing you talk about in your, your book is learning to trust other people. Um, and you know, how do you go about doing this? Cause I, I struggle with this, you know, with, with, you know, when you've had people that have betrayed you over and over again, especially when it's mm-hmm. in a faith context or a family context, something that's very spiritual and close to you. Yeah. Um, how do you go about going into new relationships without having this kind of, you know, I'm going to hold back on myself because I don't trust their motivation. It's tough. I'll be honest with you. It's, it's a tough thing. And it's, uh, it's, I would say it's the human inclination to hold back. Uh, one of the things that come to mind practically in Proverbs, Solomon talks about uh, 16, six things God hates, seven things he detests. And two out of the seven, I always tell people is a lying tongue and the heart that works deception, because I think God realizes we're human and we're not God. So you don't, you, you can look at signs and <laughs> to see if people are deceiving you, but at the end of the day, we're not deity. And once a person is wounded because we're not deity, it puts us in this vulnerable situation of it can happen again. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's why I think two of the seven are dealing with people who are deception, deceptive. How do you work that? You know what? I think going into new relationships, I think discernment is different from cynicism. Discernment is um, humbly asking, okay, why are you here before me? Are you here because I can do something for you? Are you here because I feel a void in you? Mm. And this this is when you start to heal. When you start to heal, you start to realize that broken people tend to siphon things from other people to feel their brokenness. And, and, and it's not healing, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, and so what I tend to do is I try to live with a discerning eye or or or. Uh, yeah, discerning eye and asking this question, okay, why is this person in my life, right? Um, and then the second thing is, you know, trust and character should be manifested. And I and I started to realize that uh, in the past that I was too, it was too easy to give my trust, if mm. that makes sense, right? 
And that that isn't the way of a wise person, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of people that don't deserve the trust, <laughs> um, as well as you know. But it is exactly. it's really hard to to delineate between those two. Like, how do you you know how do you know which one to trust, which one not to? Um, yeah. Especially when you know again, like we've mentioned, so many different figures in positions of th- authority, so many titles have been violated. Um, th- that that kind of leads to another thing I thought was was interesting that you brought up, which is. Um, when it comes to taking this beyond just yourself, when it comes yeah. to advocacy work, which I think what you're yeah. doing is advocacy. I mean, you're helping people that have that have felt these things, these pains. Um, yeah. One thing I thought was really funny, it was I don't remember if it was in the book or if it was on one of your podcasts, but you talked about uh, this idea a lot of people have of speaking truth to power, um, and you made the statement like they aren't power like you're you're giving people power that shouldn't have it like you're giving people control over you that that shouldn't have it um you know when it comes to trying to seek to create change you've kind of talked about the need to create it within first um but how do you think like the way advocacy is being done right now do you think it's broken the way that we look at advocacy and how can we kind of improve on that on that area yeah, I think right now we make advocacy based on uh, who has the power, who can, and you know, dis, I guess dispense resources or pe- put people in certain places versus advocacy being the human rights we all deserve, despite what positions we have in the world. Right, and I think that mentality needs to change. Right. Um, if we could just honor each other as just just humans and go, okay, you deserve this because you're your um you know your life your life right so whether it's like you know in the womb or out here it's like you deserve this and some people get their life and their voices taken advantage of because they don't have platforms and they don't have resources and that's what the sad thing is and we we what we tend to do is we tend to make people more valuable based on their civil place in society versus their their human essence for just being a human right and i think that would change advocacy uh, you know because you could put a lot of stuff in there height looks able body not able body hearing deaf blind countries class gender you know all these things that makes sense right right yeah it's it's crazy that the fight around so much of this is just baseline human dignity (laughs) like to for that to be recognized and um, you, you know, obviously I think for people who are, you know, emotionally or mentally trying to process this and trying to fight for these things, I think narrowing in on that's what it's about, you know, is that, mm-hmm. that pursuit of justice, how do you pursue that in a meaningful way when the systems aren't listening, when you have, mm-hmm. you know, systems like, you know, you can, you can come in and say, that's what it's about. That's what this fight is. But yeah. there are people that. I mean, system systemically are in those positions. You know, you've got law mm-hmm. enforcement in in some areas in this place, mm-hmm. or government in some places, and literally, just like you've you've mentioned, when you start thinking about literally just the makeup of communities, it has mm-hmm. so much history that's informed why someone lives where they live or the the experience mm-hmm. that they're feeling right now. How do you how do you work against a system that's working against you? Yeah, that's good. So. For me, for those who don't know, I believe in the way of Yeshua, Yeshua. Some people say Jesus, but Yeshua is Hebrew name. And 
one thing you will find in Yeshua's day is that um, the people of God didn't ask the government to do what was a requirement of them. Right. And, and, I, and I think so many times we're asking the government to give us this human dignity, so to speak, when it should be for, for myself, it should be the people of God. Or I would say like those who understand like the United Nations is a, it will be a non-religious version of that, though there could be politics involved in that. But the United Nations, when they came together historically, if you if you research them, they said, what what is required? Um, of what is the requirement of a human and what should they get just because they're human? And what I'm saying is we've given too much power and too much responsibility away to the government. Like, so again, for me, there are too many people who are religious, who have billions and billions of dollars who are saying, well, the policy is supposed to do it. And I go, no, they're not. It's like, you I don't need a policy to feed a hungry person if I see them hungry. Like, what do it look like? I got all this money in my pocket. A person's like, hey, man, can you buy me some food? It's like, well, I'm waiting for the government to give me a policy. Mm. But that's how people live, right? What would it look like? And this is a true story of my life where, you know, a person I knew was looking at having an abortion. And I said, look, if, I, if I'm supposed to be anti-abortion, I'm not going to pick it. I'm not going to look for a policy. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to talk to that person. I'm going to say, hey, would you give me nine months? I'll raise your child. That's how you anti-abortion. You see what I'm saying? That's not a policy. And if you look back in Yeshua's day with the believers in Ephesus, they weren't yelling at Rome and telling Rome to change the policies because guess what Rome allowed? They allowed people who did not want their kids. They allowed them to put them at the bottom of this mountain where the wolves and the beasts of the day would come eat them. They allowed that. That was a policy. So were the, the believers like, well, that's a policy. I guess they're going to get eaten. No, mm-hmm. what they, they what they did is they went to the bottom of those mountains and they raised those children. Yeah. But that's harder. <laughs> it, it, it is harder. Right. And I think some people like a policy because it lets them off the hook of responsibility. Right. Right. Yeah. That's 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 really good. Um, you know, the one area and this is something where um uh, this is something that a lot of people have had their experience really hurt by the church. Um, you know, you mentioned, um, you mentioned obviously like kind of the religious systems and and things like that. Um, and I, I want to kind of circle that um, for a lot of people, it's, it can be hard to reconcile. And I would say for a lot of people who've experienced abuse in any format, um, mm-hmm. people listen to the show who've experienced sexual abuse, who've had, their experience invalidated or worsened by the response mm-hmm. of religious people. Um, yeah. And reading, you know, reading your book, there's so many things that come to mind past conversations I've had, you know, on this show with people who've had their experience worsened by the response of religious leaders. Um, mm-hmm. So, so you obviously are, you know, a Christ follower and somebody that's passionate about undoing so many of these things. And, um, unfortunately right now, um, there's a lot of people who would look at what you're doing and say, you know, oh, you're distracted. You're distracted from the gospel or you're distracted yeah. from faith, or you're trying to bring, you know, liberal ideas into mm-hmm. church environments. And that's the reality. That's the conversation. I know when I post this, I'll have people, you know, that say that, that yeah. they'll come out of the woodwork. So, um, you know, how do you separate, I guess, like the, 
the bad things that the church has done in response to uh, these conversations, them fumbling these conversations from your own kind of personal faith? Because I have to assume that puts pressure on your personal faith as well at times, or maybe not. Yeah. You know what? I no longer um, shoulder the pressure of God's discernment and what he's going to do at the end. Um, and I, th- I think people take that pressure. So what I would say to people is like, hey, man, you know, there's a liberal agenda and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> I just always laugh and I say, OK, you tell me, what do you believe Yeshua's message is and was historically? We're not going off of what you were talking about. Show me in the scripture. See, what a lot of people don't. And again, a lot of people assume that a lot of people are actually reading the actual scriptures. Uh, You're talking to a person. I read Hebrew. I read Greek. um, I can understand Aramaic. I understand different translations and transliterations. So for me, I'm not going off of what so-and-so said, right? And I'm not going off of group think. I'm going... No, Yeshua said, if someone's thirsty, give them a drink. If someone's unclothed, right? Matthew 24 and 25. If someone's unclothed, give them clothes. If someone's in prison, go visit them. And he said to the, and then he said, because he couldn't get through all the list, contextually said, and to the least, so whoever's least in this world, if you do it to them, you do it to me. Mm. Right? Proverbs, it says, he who lends or he who gives to the poor lends to God. That's 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 the the Hebraic understanding of when you do what they call Zedekah, which is radical generosity, God considers himself being put into your debt. Now think about that. He who lends to the he who gives to the poor lends to God. So I'm hey God, I'm giving you five dollars. You gonna pay me back? And it says and God will repay. Mm-hmm us for for every action every deed everything spoken at the end of the day so what, what i would tell a person if it's like man i feel like i'm always and this is what i tell people i'm always a person who would love to have a conversation if you're wanting to expand your understanding of what you've been taught but what i realized is that a lot of people want to hold on to their group think versus considering things that their group may have missed and that's the same with myself there are positions I, I don't hold, but one thing I always hold that I've seen never fail that crosses culture, gender, classes, and parties. If you really want to see if you're a person of kindness and love, love your enemy. A lot of people throw that out the window, right? You, you really want to see if you're a person that's about that life? Consider one another better than yourselves. Paul, outdo one another in love. That's the only debt that should be reigning. Somebody, t- I ain't heard that on nobody's political campaign trail. I ain't heard that on no, you know, activists, be it white, black, purple, brown or whatever. No one's talking about loving enemy. Most most of the groups, black, white and all together, they're more zealots of Yeshua's day than anything. And the zealots of his day was like, no, we got to overthrow Rome. We got to get Rome out of here. Right. But rarely do I see people really practicing the way of what, again, the, the Hebrew word of Zedekiah, radical generosity and uh mercy kindness and loving your enemy right and i actually think that takes more strength i mean you know when you 
bite a wolf, a wolf bites back. When you bite a dog, a dog bites back. I'm in the hunting. Sorry if y'all not in the hunting. But if you if you run after a deer and you corner a deer, a deer gonna kick you back. So it's animalistic to hit back when your enemy hits you. But I would say it's not natural, super above natural to love your enemy. So I don't see any of that message coming from any political party, to be honest with you, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. And and now that you said the most controversial thing you've said the whole time about hunting, uh, but (laughs) when when it comes to having these hard conversations, you know, because there, there is, I mean, you definitely don't stray away from some difficult conversations about, you know, tough topics, Um, you know, how do you go about not cushioning the message of, you know, this is wrong or this needs to change. How do you go about not cushioning that while also loving somebody on the other side who you're trying to get that message to? Yeah, that's a good question. And I did want to kind of circle back to the, you know, light of the church doing hurt. Here's what I, here's what I would say. This illustration, uh, I would say to anybody dealing with hurt when it comes to the church or the religious I always ask this question, what was the intent of the tool? So if a murderer is on trial for using a butcher knife, what was the intent of the butcher knife to be a murder weapon? Hmm. Was the intent of Yeshua's words to be used to oppress? People can misuse tools. That's humanity, right? Uh, we, We have a beautiful thing. It's called love and sexuality but people misuse that and and it's this greek word called porneia which means to distort which we would get our word pornography and then you have sex trafficking right so does that mean people should stop being in love and celebrating the sexuality and in relationships no but people misuse its intent so what i always tell people who are in my circles and who come talk to me i said what the what the what i would say the american church and religious tend to not do they don't make a delineation and they don't give people eyes to say you need to look out for people who will misuse this tool and then get you to think that the tool is altogether bad hmm. right yeah. and that that's that's where the true loss is so for me i go yeah i've been around people who have misused this tool to tell me like well this is how black people should both be in the church and this is how you're supposed to act and so like people misuse that all day but i go when i go back to looking at yeshua's life he was never oppressive and ladies hear me say this you want to know if he had women disciples yeah women disciples look in luke eight he had luke eight these are women who funded his ministry out of their own wealth it says in the scriptures so he had women disciples so he traveled with women he traveled with men they sat at his feet he honored both the male and the female and so what we don't have is eyes to see that despite the misuse you're gonna have to leave the world if you want someone to not misuse something and still believe in the intended use of the tool that's just philosophical you can't find that anywhere right so what i would say to people is like man had a had a uh, delineation and then when i to uh, come back to the second question what what i would say people um need to understand is the burden of people's destinations is not upon us i always say this 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 thing the people i said they say, man, how are you so relaxed when you talk about spiritual matters? I go, because I don't have a heaven or a hell to put people in. 
So whatever you receive is not the burden of me, right? It is not my burden to tell you that someone's wrong. Think about it. That's not, that's, that's not what I'm, I'm here to sow seeds. I'm here to understand your story. Um, Yeshua, he asked more questions and sought more understanding than he actually gave answers. If you look at him as a teacher, he probably wouldn't be one of the most frustrating teachers you'll be, be around because we got Google. Yeshua wasn't Google. He rarely gave you the answer. Hey, what, what, what is heaven and hell? Well, what is it that you see? You're like, man, just give me the answer. <laughs> it's like, right. like, who is my neighbor? Well, let me tell you a story. Come on, bro. Like, just <laughs> tell me what it is. Yeah. And so my approach when I talk to people is it's not about giving them answers. I'm asking, like, what is it you see? What is it you want? What do you think? What does history say? Right. I, I mean, obviously, I have answers. And if you press me, I will give you one, but I think it's more important to uh, ask questions um, and to arrive at the conclusions that I do think are helpful. But rarely where you hear me say like something is right or wrong, unless it's just like, you know, like sex trafficking kids or rape or, you know, like yeah. there are certain dark things. It's not a philosophical know. debate there. You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, well, uh, let me let me kind of close with this then, because I like I said, I'm always curious with authors because there's always that driving spark that gets them to you know put pen to paper and you know as if anyone uses pens and paper now, uh, but put pen to paper and start <laughs> writing out uh, out a book. Um, yeah. But you just mentioned you know asking really big questions, um, and yeah. so if if someone was to read through the entire book, however many pages here, um, you know, and they were to you know, look through what is the number one question that you hope readers of this book are going to ask themselves um, as they flip through the pages? I hope they ask, am I being my fullest self or am I holding back something based on like fear, trauma, society, assimilation, those things? Um or success. You know, sometimes I believe we hold things back because we want success and then we get to success and you can't look in the mirror because, you know, you you didn't achieve the success with your truest self walking through the door. Mm. So I want people to ask the question, am I being my um, truest self and how God has made me to be despite the results I may get in this world? Mm. I think that's very important. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's super, super valuable. And, and just one last thing on that, you talk about like the, the expectations on the black community of what success looks like, you know, and all the, you know, oh, it means to go get a degree. It means to go do this. It means there's all these different things. Um, And you talk about like, there's this expectation of success as if all the tools existed that, you know, the people telling you to have that success had, you know? Um, So, um, you know, for someone, for someone, when you talk about being your truest self, or are you being you? Um, how do you go about even figuring out like who you're supposed to be? Like, how do you define success for yourself? Not what someone tells you it should be, not what you know maybe a parent told you it should be. How do you define what success means for you? Yeah, I always use this thing like what calls out to me, you know, so there are certain things that call out to me that don't call out to other other folks, you know, obviously putting a whole like virtuous 
understanding in it. But what calls out to me, what calls out to me is understanding people's story. It don't it doesn't matter how long it takes. Like so if you and I are talking and understanding your story takes four or six hours, I would do it. You know, and I talk about that conversation. I had a friend with a friend in South Africa and we talked for six hours to understand why he was so he was so offended that a black man knowing so much history would follow Christianity. Mm. And but in understanding the story, I go, oh, you still believe Christianity started in Europe and not in the Middle East. Right. And once I showed him that, that it opened him up to say, I was like, OK, I've been following a, a, a understanding of Christ that is flawed. It's Eurocentric. You see what I'm saying? So what calls out to you under understanding people's story? I like to create. I like to understand things. I like to understand why people do what they do. You could be the worst person on death row. My mind wants to understand what is your origin story? Because everybody has an origin story. Yeah. Nobody came out of the womb as a full adult. And if they did, that woman would that's not an interesting alive. story. <laughs> <laughs> that's an interesting right? story to hear. Um, no, that's that's <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, look, I, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to do this and, and also for writing the book. You know, I, I yeah. find myself in these conversations, you know, saying, hey, thanks for coming on and talking for an hour. But then there's hours of writing leading up to yeah. this conversation that that I really appreciate you taking the time. And it is I, I know this is a um, a difficult subject to walk through. I'm sure yeah. you have people like you mentioned, people on both sides of mm. all of this, if you know, and to even say there's both sides, there's hundreds of sides <laughs> on these topics, you know, where some are going to be upset. You're not going more aggressive toward, yeah. you know, certain ideology or some that would say, you know, don't talk about it at all. This is done. And yeah. so I appreciate you putting yourself out there and, and sharing so openly. And also as someone that loves movies like that's my number one love i love that you included a watch list at the end uh because it's going to keep me busy so um thank (laughs) you again so much for for all your work yeah no likewise eric thanks for having me on it's a blessing and and, uh, bless you bless you people thank you for listening to the preacher boys podcast if you appreciated the content on the show please leave a review on iTunes. And don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.